Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Now we're heading to High Grounds Farm in South Canterbury with Cosmo Kentish Barnes. He's with Hamish and Angela Cottle, who got into free-range pig farming there in 2011. After initially sending 12 pigs a week for processing, they now have 250 breeding sows. The couple take Cosmo to the other side of the farm to see the farrowing girls. This is Hamish. So we're in a place called Lyledale. We're actually at the top of Lyledale, so we're about 20 minutes southwest of Timaru. And we've got sheep, predominantly Texels, along with a Texel stud. We do free-range pork, and we've also got beef cows as well, Angus and Angus Cross beef cows. And are those your sheep in the paddock beside the road? Yep, so those ones there, they're Texel stud ewes, so they're about to lamb now, and we'll see shortly um, some that have lambed. Um, So that particular mob there, they're a mob of singles and we'll just drive through shortly a mob of twins down on the bottom flat. Good conditions for lambing? Very good, yeah, we've had a great run. Hopefully it continues because we're just starting to crank into it. So we'll just go into this gate here. These are some of the Texel stud ewes that are lambing at the moment. I'll grab the gate. Looks like there's a couple of ewes lambed over there. That's quite good they've gone to the edge of the paddock where the trees are hanging over the fence for a bit yeah, of nice um, bit of shelter there. Bit of shelter. Yeah. Here we go, newborn lambs. Yeah, yeah. But this is ideal actually. She's a she's a good strong type of you. And we've got a good set of strong twins. Nice and mobile, got up on their feet straight away and they both had a good suck. Mm. She's a good milky, milky type of ewe. Yeah. Now tell me about the farm. How much land have you got here and how long have you been farming? Uh, well, here? I came home back in 2006 to carry on farming because it's something I'd always been interested in. And before that, I was over in Scotland in the Isle of Man and... Prior to that, I was in Australia working on big cattle stations, doing horseback musters and helicopter musters, and it was all quite a wild sort of place. It was, it was, <laughs> it was, we're cap- capturing Mickey bulls and tethering them to trees and then trying to get them into trucks, a bit like bull catchers you see on TV now. Yeah, we were doing that. But prior to that, I did a butchery apprenticeship in Christchurch. So, done a few things, but yeah, mm-hmm. came back home to answer your question, 2006, and started helping mum and dad on the farm and we quickly realised that to draw extra income from the farm we needed to ramp things up a bit so consequently that's why we got into the free range pigs which we'll show you shortly Mm. Um, but total farm now is 370 hectares and Angela are you from a farming background? Yeah so my great grandfather was a gun shearer out central west New South Wales and he had a farm 
My grandmother would always say she was from the bush. That was her claim to living in the country. And she'd always talk about how she'd ride her horse to school and things. So, But that family farm was taken over by my great-grandfather's son and the sisters. I don't quite know what went on, but the mm. sisters didn't get much of the farm. So it went to my cousin's side of the family. But we always had land as a kid, just a few acres. And I always loved working on farms. So during school, I did a bit of dairy farm work. And then when I finished school, I thought I really want to stay in agriculture, but I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. So when I chose my uni degree, it allowed me to choose whether I was interested in animal production or agronomy. Angela graduated from Sydney University with a farm management degree. And now she's working for PGG Wrightson. So my role's in the technical extension team. So I do a lot of extension work with the people that are on farm, so the technical field reps. So they're the ones talking with farmers all the time and my role is to sit behind them and basically take my knowledge and help them so they can help their farmers. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Hamish, tell me about your parents because back in the 90s they were quite interested in organics, weren't they? Organic farming. Yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. Dad had brought the farm... And he moved here in 89 and took it over as a going concern. And he's quite passionate about heavy horses and things like that. Um, and he'd, he'd have the odd animal just get sick. And the farm before had been cropped a lot and there was a lot of chemical and stuff used. And he ended up getting, long story short, one of his uh, favourite mares got sick uh, along with a steer as well. And... He got some blood tests done and the liver was packing up and they'd actually found these chemical residues still in the blood and it was it was affecting the liver of these animals. So it just got him thinking, you know, where are we going with the, all these chemicals and he um, just decided then and there to, to stop using the chemicals and to let things recover. And so I remember as we were kids and I was going through high school, mum and dad had, had um, got BioGrow certified and, yeah, farmed organically and just tr- try and let the farm heal, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How long did they farm organically? They were actually still organic until it was probably just before 2010. Mm. It was sort of not long after I came home. And, again, with, with us needing to ramp up productivity of the farm, um, organics is good. And it was good for mum and dad. But as soon as you start to put pressure on things, cracks start to appear pretty quick. And we found that we couldn't, unfortunately, found that we couldn't farm organically and reduce our stock numbers and still be able to draw enough income for an extra person on the farm. So we made the decision then to stop with the organics. But we're still sort of holding on to a lot of the Mm. organic principles that we picked up along the way. And the way we're farming our free-range pigs now is a very biological-type way of doing things. It's, it's, um, we're using the pigs as a, a bit of a tool, really, to help improve fertility on the farm. And they're farmed in a rotation mm. around the farm. And we're utilising the pigs and what they leave behind to improve soil. And they're in a slow but continuous rotation right around the whole farm. So over time, the whole farm benefits from having the pigs over it. There's no fertiliser as such that goes on, but every time the feed truck comes in with pig feed, that is essentially fertiliser because you're bringing in this nutrient, the pigs are taking what they need to grow. 
for meat and bone and then the excess gets left behind and then the excess then is mopped up with catch crop which is oats and grass that's harvested and then back into permanent pasture so there's no fertiliser truck per se but there is nutrient coming in in a slightly different form. And great that you can rotate this system all around the farm. Yeah, yeah. There are some areas that we deem too steep. So because they do root it up a bit, in the winter especially, we we just won't have the pigs over it. And then in the bottoms of gullies or swales, because we're rolling, we purposely fence those off so they can grow a bit of grass and if we do get any runoff it, it filters through that so we're not losing our topsoil it's it's probably our most precious asset really mm. yeah. oh lovely well should we head over to the pig farm yeah absolutely Come to the area where the free range pigs are. So, what's this road that we're standing on? Where does it go to? So, this is Bluecliffs Road, and that way to our right goes all the way down to the coast and comes out at St Andrews, and that way to our left goes all the way up to Bluecliff Station and links on to Backline Road, which hugs along under the Hunter Hills. And you've got land on both sides of the road. Yes, yeah, yeah. Now, and we can see the piglets there running around. Yeah, so this is our farrowing area. So um, when we have our batches of sows ready to have their litters, they come to this part of the farm. Just watch yourself there, Cosmo. Oh, oh, yeah. Thank you. Just about tripped up on a electric wire. Yeah, they come to this part of the farm and have their litters so we do a batch farrow system which means our breeding sows are running batches and we aim to have about 35-36 sows farrow in each batch so every three weeks we've got a batch come in and we'll have their have their litters and that batch will all farrow within maybe three or four days of each other so it's quite a tight condensed farrowing and there's there's advantages in that it means that all of those, when it comes to weaning, all of those piglets can all be weaned and run as one group, and then the sows will go back to their gestation paddocks as one group as well. And if you think about a pig, they're an amazing animal, really, because if you can compare it to a cow or a sheep, a sheep will give you maybe 1.5, 1.6 lambs a year, if you work it out on average, and a cow will give you a calf a year. But if you look at a piglet, she can give you over two litters a year and in each of those litters you know we might wean 11 and a half or 12 piglets so she can give if you're looking at 2.2 litters a year she can give you 25 26 piglets a year that's a they're a pretty amazing productive animal Incredible. Yeah. yeah yeah for our listeners who aren't familiar with pig farming what's the difference the main difference between free range outdoor pig farming like here and a modern indoor pig farm? Uh, well, free range, um, obviously the sows are outside all the time. And if you look at these, um, this is our farrowing paddock, so each sow's got their own individual hut that they'll have their litter in. And the piglets have got the ability to run around outside once, they've, once they decide to come outside the hut. And 
they tend to go just wherever they like. They they get in little gangs and they might run away across the other side of the paddock and they'll see you coming and they'll all run back to mum and they all they all know which hut to go to. It's it's amazing. So yeah, the the main difference is that. And then um, indoor, there's some pretty good indoor facilities now, but um, predominantly they're farrow in a crate and then when they're weaned they're, they're finished indoors as well so whether that be on straw bedding or slats yeah they're farrowed in more of a, a pen aren't they yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, when we first got here the sow closest to us walked towards us gave us a sniff made sure we were not a threat and then she went back to her piglets yeah they do act different when when there's strangers about too Myself and the workers, we can come down here and just walk amongst them and they're good as gold. But Even as soon then. as there's someone that's not normally here, you can just see them sense mm. they're just a bit wary. Mm. Yeah. Would they attack someone? If they're really threatened or especially they can get quite protective straight after they have their litters. Firstly, they sort of give you a warning sort of bark yeah. and it's enough to make you start. And then um, if you're fostering some piglets on, so maybe one sow's had a big litter and she's got too many because a, a pig can only rear as the number of piglets as the number of teats she's got. She mm. can't she can't handle any more because a piglet actually goes back to the same teat every time. So if one a sow's had more piglets than the number of teats she's got, you've got to take some piglets off. So if you're carrying piglets along and then they start to get a bit squirmish and you're walking from this hut, maybe five or six huts down, you've got to walk past sows that are that have had litters and they're sort of quite protective. And the piglet starts to squeal and get upset. Those sows that you're walking past, they can, they can come out and yeah. they want, they want to know why. Put why that baby it? down now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it can, yeah. So it's like walking the gauntlet, really. Now most of the buildings, what would you call these things? Farrowing houses. Now most of the farrowing houses here look a bit like yurts. This is a housing system that you've been developing. Yeah, so these are based on a really old design called a Ruakura round farrowing house. So I tell you what, they knew something back in the day. Back in the 50s, these were developed as a permanent structure. So they're round, but internally there's a piglet safety zone. So when Ruakura developed them, there was a Dr. Smith who had developed these. And he, even right down to the, the actual size of the structure, the cubic feet of airspace which was an area that the sow could heat adequately with her own body heat. But the ones he designed, they were designed to have a heat lamp in the middle for where that piglet safety zone was. But because we're free range and the huts are being moved around, we've modified it and made this a, a transportable structure. So the, the... Oh, I can see you've got some hooks there, yeah. so you can lift them up with, yep. a, with a tractor. Yep, yep. So they get lifted up and moved. And if you just look on the side... There's a sow in this one. Oh, there we are. The sow is some lying down with some piglets, which are having some afternoon tea. Yeah, yeah. So she's quite content. So she, the sow can come and go as she pleases. So she just gets and walks around the centre structure, yep. which is a little hot box area with a lid, and the oh, piglets camp in there. So it's got a sack curtain on the front. So it's like a, um, a room within a room a, yeah. that stays a bit warmer. How do you get the piglets to discover this inner room in the first place? When she first farrows, or even if I go back a bit, before she farrows, the day before, you make sure all the straw is nice and flat. If this centre part's 
packed too tight with straw it creates a wall and the piglets can't get in there. So you make sure all her bedding's nice and flat and then as soon as she farrows we carry 10 litre containers and fill them with hot water and place that in this little creep hot box area and a piglet's actually got heat receptors on the, the end of its snout mm. and that's why they're so quick at coming around and getting onto the teat but that actually they actually seek out the warmth of this hot box area it draws them in so once they realize that that environment in there is far more warm for them than, than the sow's main hut they just keep coming back to it <laughs> A couple of piglets are fighting over a teat. And uh, just so our listeners know, we are kneeling down by the entrance and we can see uh, the sow there who has been feeding her piglets and she's pretty cosy in here, isn't she? Yeah, it's nice. Well, the roof's um, insulated with polystyrene. The sides are clad with plywood and it's about an eight-foot diameter circle. She's a big girl. How heavy would she weigh? Uh, generally, they get a lot bigger than her. They can probably get up to 250, 300 kilos. I would say she'd be 180 to 200, something, something like yeah, that. Yeah, and she's moved positions, and now she's lying down again. And uh, someone's just turned up. Who's this? This will be Ben. Hi, Ben. How you doing? Good, thanks. What's happening today? Oh, at the moment, I'm just running around feeding the sows out of the tractor but the sows in the lactating pens where we are now I sort of feed them in a pile and they're all fed individually mm. the ones that are due to farrow actually fed them this morning is the ones that are um, with the older piglets I'm feeding now yeah but the dry sow paddocks we tend to feed them in a long line because they're in mobs or batches of sort of 12 to 15. And what's your background how did you hook up with Hamish and Angela? Um, well, I saw a job advertised on Trade Me, really, and applied for it, and here we are, I guess. Yeah. Where were you working before? Uh, before I was up at Mount Summers, working on a farm, um, mainly beef and dairy grazing. But previous to that, I've got more experience with pigs. Yes. What do you love about pigs and working on a pig farm? Pigs are quite different to other animals to work with. They're quite unique characters and more individuals, other than sheep and cattle tend to follow, and I like working up close with the pigs as well. Work one-on-one -on -one with the animals more often, more so. What's the most challenging part of your job? Um, sometimes, I guess, trying to deal with a protective mum when she's just had her babies and she doesn't want you close, but you, you're trying to help. What advice would you give to someone who's being attacked by a protective sow? Well, firstly, if you're ever going near a protective sow, you always make sure you've got a pig board in your hand. So you can use it as a barrier between you and her. Like a shield? Basically, yeah. The teeth are pretty sharp as well. So what happens to the pork that you produce on this farm? Uh, well, well, I think we're quite fortunate to have a, quite a good relationship with Harmony and Neat Meats. They're a company which we've joined up with and they're doing all the marketing of our pork and they distribute it wherever they see fit. So... With it being free range, it's sort of a, a discerning type clientele, I, I would think. And um, all of their other suppliers have got, got organic beef suppliers, Taupo beef, spring coastal lamb, things with a bit of a story, and we sort of fit into their marketing story as well. So mm. the sun on their back and the dirt between their toes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the biggest challenge pork producers have 
at the moment in terms of trying to get their meat into new markets? Costs, I think, are probably the biggest challenge at the moment. Um, price of grain and price of feed, price of everything, really. But we're also in this huge competition with imported product at the moment as well. Mm. Heaps of imported pork over, in supermarkets. Over 60% of pork in supermarkets is imported. And it's predominantly your um, processed pork, so your bacons and that sort of thing. There's not much fresh pork, imported fresh pork sold in the supermarkets. But it can be produced, mass produced so cheap overseas in countries where maybe the grain is subsidised or the pork farmers themselves are subsidised. They've got lesser standards that they've, they need to adhere to. And Welfare. Mm, mm. What would you like the government to do to try and showcase New Zealand pork? I wonder if it's on their menu in their cafe in Wellington. Is it? We'll have to find out. Maybe you could ask someone if yeah. you're up there, Cosby. I, I just think it's a bit misleading, the packaging at the moment. I think it needs to be clearer to the consumer so the consumer can decide. So at the moment, currently, if you look carefully at the packaging, you know, on fine print on the back, it says, made from local and imported ingredients, may contain pork from one of the following countries, and it lists 11 or 12 countries. I don't see why they can't have a on the front of the packaging if it is imported, just a big stamp saying imported pork, mm. and then the consumer can easily look at it, pick it up, and say, "Oh no, it's imported. Well, that stuff's New Zealand stuff. I'll, I'll buy that," just to support local. But that might be difficult for a government, especially if they have signed trade deals with with other countries. Yes, absolutely. And porks the poor cousin, and. Um, gets the raw end of the deal when we're doing trade agreements with other countries we might benefit with beef and lamb going one way but consequently we're going to take the pork coming this way from another country who's maybe a, a bigger pork producer than we are so that's what we're up against. Now um, Hamish we are approaching a sow who's got about what 10 or 11 piglets suckling on her what's her technique what does she do? Well, She'll lie there and the piglets will just nuzzle and nuzzle and nuzzle and, and then all of a sudden her grunting will change and that's when she's letting down her milk and the piglets all of a sudden will stop nuzzling and they'll just suck flat out for about 30 seconds and then they'll go back to nuzzling and that's her letting her milk down and she probably does that every 20 minutes, half hour. And you were saying earlier that piglets always go back to the same teat. Yep, yep, yep. So from the first couple of days they get their teat and that's their teat for the rest of the time that they're on mum yeah. and you often find that the the ones that have got a front teat do slightly better than the ones that have got a back teat Hamish Cottle ending that story Cosmo was also talking to Angela Cottle and Ben Lester at the Cottle's free range pig farm near Tibaru. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.